We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. We had a super chat from Michael S who says, does Mike Denbrock need two years like Al Golden to get his side of the ball at the championship level, making this year's offense a missed playoff? No, no, yeah, I don't, I think, don't so. think so either. I mean, you're inheriting a team that scored 39 points a game. Right. And, and again, you know, we had plenty of criticisms of Al Golden two years ago, but the, the defense wasn't why they lost Ohio State. Right. The defense wasn't why they lost to Stanford. The defense wasn't why they lost to Marshall. You know, I mean, they had the one bad drive. They didn't close the games out enough, but like they gave you how many chances to put Marshall away? How many chances did the defense give the offense to put Marshall away? Right. I mean, same thing. How many chances did they give you to extend your lead over Ohio State? You had 10 7 lead for like two full quarters. They gave you time and time again, gave you chances to extend the lead, and they couldn't do it. The only game you could remotely put on the off defense last year was USC. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you lost two games where the offense, where the defense held the opposing team to under 20 points of off, 20 offensive points. Marshall scored 19 offensive points. Stanford scored 16 offensive points, and you lost both games. So you, you, you weren't the problem. The offense has been the driver of the problems the last two years. And, and so, no, I mean, I, I don't think, 
I don't think he needs a year to make it, you know, to, to get things going like the defense. I, I, I think he's inheriting a much better situation, in my opinion, without Al, yeah. Al Golden walked into. Also because he's got a staff that half of the staff has coached with him before. That that also helps yeah. with the transition relative to where Al Golden was when he stepped in. He didn't know anybody on the staff last year when he walked in you're in also, 2022. You're also talking about a seasoned offensive coordinator coming in that's just been doing this for a while now, right? Where Coach Golden hadn't called defense in almost 20 years on the college level. Like, I mean, it had been a long time since he called defense. So I think just, just getting back to that, you know, that style and that ability to call, call a game and the format of defense and then work on the structure. I, I, I just think that Mike Denbrock is in a better situation to transition easier because he's been doing this, you know, like he's more well-seasoned as far as formatting offenses on the college level than what Al Golden was coming to Notre Dame. Like he was a little bit of a, I think Al Golden was a little bit of a wild card hire by Notre Dame in the sense of he had not called a defense in a very long time. Who knew how good of a defense coordinator he would end up being at Notre Dame. I don't think Mike Denbrock's a wild card. Like, you know what Mike Denbrock can be at Notre Dame potentially. Agree. And he has a history of turning offenses around as well. I mean, he took over an, an LSU offense that scored 26 points a game, and then the next year they scored 34 points a game, and then the next year they scored, you know, 45 Six. points a game, right? So yeah. um, the track record is, is there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. 
Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Jeff Blue says, thoughts on court storming? I mean, it, it's getting a lot of play now. I've never been a fan of court storming the way that it's done, Ryan. I just... Look, it used to be a thing where I think we also have to be able to look at where society is right now. And there's so many people that are just looking for their five minutes of fame. And you have people that are totally fine with their fame coming from getting in the face of a, of a college player and flicking them off and giving them the finger. And the fan is, oh, I love it. Get in that guy's face. It's like it's childish. It's ridiculous. We saw that with Notre Dame. Remember the guy that got Caleb Williams face this year and gave him the yeah. finger right like that. that Oh, owned them. This is ridiculous. You know, it's just like it, it it's childish. And and my fear, Ryan, is it just takes one idiot who who wants to make a name for himself by doing because he's willing to do it. I mean, think about where we are right now, Ryan. We have a society of people that are raised that if you just exploit yourself on some sort of social media platform, it's going to get you famous and, and, and potentially make you money. People are willing to do all types of stupid things because it makes them famous or makes them money. You don't think that that there's not some moron out there that's going to say, hey, if I go do this to this player, it's going to get my name, this, 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 and this. That's what scares me. Whereas in the yeah. past, I really generally felt like it was just sharing an excitement of the win. You know what I mean? Like even re as recently as 2020, when I'm watching the students storm the field against Clemson, like that was just a genuine joy for Notre Dame mm -hmm. players. And, and I think for most people, it is still that. It's just the the small percentage is greater and greater and greater and bolder and bolder and bolder. That's the problem. And yeah. it's going to take one incident that's going to be really bad that's going to ruin it. So my whole thing is, I, I'll say it again, there's a real simple solution to this. If you storm the field before the players are off the field, you're going to jail. Simple as that. I mean, there's enough technology now. I mean, look, just let the flipping players get to the locker room, the opposing players. If the, if, the, if the home team wants to stay and celebrate the win, go for it. With the fans, go for it. Let the opposing team get to the locker room. That's 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 simple as that. Just then, then they just go have at it, you know, have fun. Because, because again, this is still a fan-driven sport. It, it is. I mean, oh, the players. But if if the fans didn't support the game, then everybody'd be like Division three teams. I've coached at that level where you have three thousand people in the stand. You don't want that. Yeah. You want the fans to be passionate and love the game and be part of it and enjoy that moment with their team. But we also have to make sure we're being smart. And and that's the problem with a lot of this is you just don't you just can't control that. And there's too many people that view, you know, it's just again, is it's not most people. It's not most people. It's just there's enough platforms that you just have people like this that are just it's something's bad bad is gonna happen. And are we gonna really wait until something really bad happens to a player? or a, you know, whatever else for this to happen. No. And, and, and look, Archer, I get what you're saying. Like they initiated, con it's not the point that that is such an irrelevant point to this whole thing. I don't give a rip about Kyle Filipowski. I don't to your point, he initiated contact, but it doesn't matter. There should not be someone there to do that with. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that run at the receiver for Alabama, getting Caleb Williams face and try to instigate some, because what they're doing is, they're trying to get they're trying to get a reaction from the player 
And then the player responds, and then one of two things happens because is you know lawsuit or I'm famous or whatever. And now the players are making money the way that they are. People see you see people you see what are you going to sue? What are you going to sue Tony Rice for? What are you going to take from Tony Rice? He, he's a college athlete. He has nothing. Now this guy's a millionaire. Caleb is a millionaire. If he hits me back or hits me, I'm suing, and now I'm making my money. That's the culture we live in. There's too much of that. We can't ignore that. We can't ignore the fact that we live in a culture of people that will do anything on social media nowadays to be famous. They will embarrass themselves and clown themselves and exploit themselves to be famous and to get likes and to make money. That's where we're at. And we can't ignore that. And even though you say, well, 90% of the fans aren't that way, 95% of the fans aren't that way. Okay, I'll grant that premise. But that 5% is still a big number when you're talking about tens of thousands of people. But at the end of the day, it takes one. It takes one person to have really bad intentions. And, and with all due respect, have any of you gone into a game recently through security? There's a lot of stadiums where it's not that hard to get something in where you could do some damage to somebody. That's the scary thing for me. And again, it takes one crazy person to, to just really ruin this whole thing for everybody. And that's why we just got to be smarter. We just got to be smarter, you know, and you you can't storm the field. Just let the opposing team leave. Because if it's really, here's the thing. If it's really about celebrating with your team, then why would anybody have a problem with waiting an extra two minutes to let the opposing team hustle to the locker room? What? Who would have a problem with that? Nobody should. The only way you're not okay with that is if because your goal is to do something to the other team to get yourself famous. That's just, you know, that's just, I just don't like it. So I think either get rid of it or just like I said, hey, stay until the opposing team gets to the locker room. Then you can go have some fun. Um, I'd be more okay with that, to be honest with you. Get to some more questions here. We've got one from John A1. He says, who will Notre Dame be Notre Dame's best space player on offense? How many touches does Denbrock need to create for said player in space per game? That's Jeremiah Love for me. And I think Jeremiah Love needs to be in space, either running the ball or catching the ball, at least eight to ten times a game. That could be uh, perimeter runs. That could be because I'm not counting like like you could count inside zone here, but I don't think that's the spirit of what you're getting at, John. And I would agree with you. I would say it includes like buck sweeps, outside zones to a degree, although outside zone is not technically an outside run. It's more of a vertical run. So let's go like buck sweeps, jet sweeps, swing screens, bubble screens, slip screens, uh, RPO quick game. Those are all different ways that you can get Jeremiah Love in space, getting him in the slot, angle routes out of the backfield are, are, are ways for that, slide routes and and insert because like LSU, and I'm gonna have a I, I'm 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 two games away from having the full thing broken down. I'm breaking down nine games from last year, and then I'm gonna go through watch four or five games from 2022 and a couple Cincinnati games to kind of see, you know, put find patterns and such. And but they'll do a thing to the running backs and then also to the tight ends where they'll kind of run in, in a read zone. And they will then have the quarterback pull and he'll get outside and there'll be like a like a, a perimeter screen where they're blocking for the under screen. So he can hand off, 
run it himself or throw that perimeter screen, I would certainly do things like that with Jeremiah Love. So there's a lot of different things like that, seam routes, wheel routes, uh, getting him outside, running crossing routes, hitch routes. There's a lot of different ways you can get Jeremiah space, Jeremiah Love in space. And so to me, uh, that is their best space player on offense, and the number of touches is 8 to 10 would be my answer. And, I, and I'm pretty sure Ryan is going to agree with that. Ryan, basically you've read the question. Yep. Yep. The answer is Jeremiah Love. We counted yep. space as being anything that gets outside the box. So like inside zone can get in space, but that's not the spirit of it. Eight to 10 right. touches a game, pass game, run game, different things like that is, is should be the target number for, for Jeremiah Love in that regard. Yeah, I, I think that Jeremiah is your most dynamic player in that regard. I do think that you have a couple interesting options. I mean, I like I, Jordan Faison's a kid that I would like to get out in space a little bit. I think Chris Mitchell in certain aspects could get out of space a little bit. Jadarian Price is another guy that can get out in space and make some. I think if Jaden Harrison's a part of your offense, I think there's some things that you can do with him as far as being a space player. But ultimately I believe that Jeremiah Love brings the best all around skill set as a space player because he can run outside zone. You can give him a toss. You can run sweep. You can screen game to him. You could work him outside the uh, outside as a you know as a uh, as a pass receiver in different scenarios as well. Like it doesn't have to just be in the screen game. So yeah, he would be my answer. And I, Hey man, as, as ever many times you need to do it to win a football game is my ultimate answer to that, because he, this is how the game is trending ultimately. And I think that Jeremiah love gives you an opportunity to create a lot of big plays potentially in 2024. Ryan, I, you had to go, you had to step away before I could finish yep. the preview before you could comment on the last one. I finished before you got back. Any thoughts you want to offer on on courts on field field storming or court storming in sports? I, I, I like the nature of of it as far as the intents behind it. I think that most people do do it for the right reasons, and I do think the baseline of court storming is in celebration and is a positive, right? But unfortunately, as anything, people take it to a place where you can no longer enjoy the best parts of the court storming situation. So it's a shame, man. It really is. I, I, I don't think I've ever actually stormed the court, but I, I, again, like after a big win, I mean, I, I know you mentioned like the Notre Dame Clemson game in 2020, like that was awesome. Right. Like kind of finish yeah. it off that way because that was a, that was getting a monkey off your back a little bit. Right. And to be able to have that type of a big time victory. I think that that's fantastic. So I, I like the nature of it, but obviously the, the practice of it has not been the best right. over the last few years. Well, one thing I said, Ryan, is, is if, if for Pete, if it's truly about celebrating with your team, then there should be no problem with fans accepting the fact that give two minutes to let the other team get off the field. If that's if it's just about the celebration thing, which I think it is for at least ninety five percent of the people, then no one would have a problem with that. And then now go celebrate and have your moment, you know. Yeah. So like, and and somebody actually said this in the thing, and look, there needs to be some rules or laws passed that protect players if if somebody comes up to me in an aggressive manner and i respond in kind then i'm protected because like this whole thing well this person wasn't running up to him with ill intent how are you supposed to know that like seriously if someone's running at me full speed i'm supposed to assume that they have good intentions as they're yelling f you and the whole game to me you know what i mean i'm supposed to assume right. that they have no ill intent after what i've been heard yelling at me the entire game i'm supposed to assume it and at what point in time do i stop assuming it after they've speared me after they hit me over the head with something after they don't throw something at me because if you knew 
messing around with an opposing player is getting you clocked and you have no recourse for that, guess what? People won't do that. So there has to be something put in place to, to, to limit this to where, like you said, like I said, the small, small group of people that have ill intent don't ruin it for everybody else. That's right. the big thing. Because like court storming, it's not a thing for me. I wouldn't do it. But that that just like I don't do autographs, but doesn't mean that there's there's not people that it's a, a, a really cool thing for. Everybody's different. And just because I don't like it doesn't mean it should be gotten away with. You just have to have some protections for it, in my opinion. Right. That's that's the big thing. Michael S. seems a little cranky today, Ryan. So we got another super chat from him. He says, uh, Denbrock is excellent, but what do you see as his shortcomings as offensive coordinator? Shortcomings as an offensive coordinator. Um, not really sure how to answer that one, to be honest. Um, there's nothing like know. egregious that he does that I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe he does that. Like, that's, Yeah, I, 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 don't know. I don't know if I'd say a shortcomings. I think... I would say that at LSU, his his pass offense wasn't super complex to where if you had a really good pass defense that could cover his receivers, they didn't have as many options. But, I mean, I think that was partly out of necessity sure. for some different reasons. Than any, I mean, they didn't have a great – like they had a pretty decent run-blocking O-line this year, not a great pass pro O-line outside of Will Campbell. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I don't – I don't know that I would say there's, there's going to be things that people don't agree with because they, they believe in different scheme, but sure. Um, I, I would say this, I would like to see a little bit more from him in regard to getting outside, truly outside with the run game. That's a very small nitpick, but I don't know who at LSU at running back this year, they would have tried that with. That's the problem. It's like, part yeah. of it is like, okay, he didn't do this, but who would you have done that with Logan Diggs? Right? Like, what what running back was this the Williams kid? What running back was gonna Josh be that Williams get probably. outside? Right? That, I mean, that'd probably be your best bet is Josh Williams, yeah. probably, but yeah. This is John, John A1 Abel. with a follow-up to the previous question. Okay. Who do you project to be Notre Dame's best space defender? Is the best defender in space and every down defender in modern sub package football? I mean, it certainly can be it certainly mm-hmm. can be, John. And and yeah, I mean, it mostly is. I, I would even argue because with how much teams play the space game, like you want to get your player that can negate space on the field as much as possible. So they become a very important player to a defense, particularly. Who's the best space player on Notre Dame's team right now? I mean, I like I, coverage-wise, I would say Benjamin Morrison, but Benjamin Morrison needs to take a step up in tackling, right? So yeah. like that's one situation where you just say like, probably – that's probably why I'd go with Xavier Watts because I think Xavier yeah. Watts made more plays in space this year, both throwing game and run game. Yeah, it'd probably be Xavier um, Watts by default right now. Yeah, so yeah. we'll see if 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 Ben can improve his run, his ability to as a tackler, then it's probably him. But yep, again, we I have agree. to see those improvements that bump. I also agree with that, Ryan. I do think it can be him for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm you know I'm curious to see kind of how the young linebackers do in space this year as well. That's going to be very interesting. Very yep. interesting how they develop. J- Jalen Steed has all the tools to be great in that capacity, but we have seen you know some bad angles, missed tackles yeah. at times. So he needs to finish plays more appropriately. Mm-hmm. We had Tyler Longbreak who said, "Will Campbell greater than David Sanders?" Question. So this one. is this is in response to on three um, ranking Will Black as the number six overall player in the country, the number one offensive tackle, one spot ahead of David Sanders. Like, I, I, I'll just say this, Ryan. Yeah. 
th- what this proves mm-hmm. is that what you and I have said about on three the entire time is the issues that Ryan and I have with on three is I do not believe that there's a anti Notre Dame bias clearly in the ranking standpoint. I mean, last year it was it was Gearby Lambert they ranked higher than anybody else. They ranked Salas Prescott higher than anybody else. They ranked Anthony Knapp higher than anybody else. Charles Jagas all the year before. I don't. Yep. I think they had. They just don't do rankings well. Sometimes it benefits their name. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, like for all the 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 angst and the complaining we had about how low they ranked CJ Carr this year, they also ranked several Notre Dame players higher than anybody else. Yeah, it's just, they're just bad at rankings. And look, and and then situations like this create unique situations for us. So I'll just say this: Ryan and I are both very happy that Notre Dame landed Will Black. Yep. Uh, we both view Will Black as a good offensive lineman, he, a guy that was smart to get a top 250 player, but I neither I don't think he'd ever see a five-star player in Will Black right now. In fact, I remember when Will Black committed and he was considered, I believe, a consensus three-star. Consensus three-star player, yes. Consensus. And I fought with people in this very chat about like, hey, yeah. brother, this is better than a three-star yes. kid. This is a good player, and I'm happy that Will Black's a part of the class. Yes. It's just gone a little bit too far the other direction, yes. in my opinion. And, and, so, and it's it's yeah. interesting, Ryan, because like when you, you you look at like our ranking or you know my ranking for for Will Black, I mean, again, that's that's a good football player, man. Like that's a kid that I think very highly of. It's just, I just I can't. I mean, it's good for Notre Dame perception wise, but like sure. it's the weirdest one of the weirdest rankings I've ever seen. Everybody else has him as a medium to lower three star ranked player, and. I think those are wrong too. We've talked yes. about this. I mean, just look at the grade that that I have for Will Black. I mean, I have Will Black graded as a four star kid. I have Will Black graded as a top two fifty recruit. I think is where I had Will Black top two fifty with a five four and a half star upside. I think that's fair. Ryan, would 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 you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, top two fifty four and a half star upside, but five star? No, I just I can't go there. So they've overcorrected a little bit in yes. my opinion. But I'll take it. I'll take it. I just don't agree with it. I mean, I just, yeah. I don't see that. Doesn't I, mean he's not a really good football player. Just, yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's also, I, I think it's even worse when like Tyler put in, in his chat, obviously of Will Black greater than David Sanders. It's, 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 that's what makes it, I think, egregious, honestly, Tyler. I mean, if you really like Will Black, cool. If you want to rank him higher than everyone, that's fine. I, I don't necessarily push back against that part, but you said that he's better than David Sanders, who I consider right. to be just, yeah. A freak. Yeah, I like have maybe an, maybe the best player in 2025. Like he might be. I mean, it's it's a conversation at least. Ryan, if I remember correctly, you have do you have Matty Augustine as the number one ranked offensive tackle in this class for Notre Dame? I have Strebig. 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 Okay, yeah. so we both have Owen yeah. Strebig ranked ahead of Will Black. So yes. I don't. I, I view him as the number one offensive tackle in this class. Mm-hmm. We both view Will Black as a four star player. This I don't like. I don't want to rain on the kid's parade. This is let, let, this is a cool moment for him. He's ranked as a five star okay. kid. But you asked, and I just. I, he, I I just don't see it. I, I yeah. I don't I don't see. It. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. No. Not based upon the junior film. Maybe the senior film will be that. We'll see. Yeah, I hope it does. Look, I hope that he goes out there and earns that ranking this year. That'd be great for Notre Dame. I just oh, I I, I hope on three is very it. much correct on that ranking. That would be Absolutely. fantastic if they were Absolutely. right on that one. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they were also ranked Kedron Young higher than anybody else last year. So again. Guys, I have a ton of issues with on three. I think they are the worst ranking system out there, which is saying something because ESPN sucks as well. And 247 has been suckier and suckier every year. But on three is just so egregiously off on so many kids. And and there's just no rhyme or reason to why they're off. 
you know, and, and so uh, I, I really don't think they have a school bias. I don't. No. I mean, they, they had a, they had Brandon Ennis ranked as the uh, barely a top 100 player. They had Cardinal Tate outside top 100. They had other, but then they have Air Nolan ranked super high. Like, so it's not that they have bias. I think they have bias towards certain positions. Charles Power, for example, is obsessed with offensive linemen. So every year they have way more offensive linemen ranked higher than than anybody else. So it's a bias, but we all have those types of biases, right? And I knew and I both talked about that we've had to recognize that, hey, this is why I keep missing at this position because I have a bias towards this trait or this position or whatever. We all have those. And 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 I, I don't have a problem with those as much as I have because I don't think those are intentional, right? Like I don't think Charles Powers, like I kind of joke like, okay, what did CJ Carr and his family do to Charles Powers? Like, like it was a joke, but like, I don't think his ranking of CJ Carr was, was anything other than a bad evaluation. I, I put no ill intent behind it. I think it was just a bad evaluation. I, you know, I, I just, I have ne- with on three, I haven't picked up on any, like they are pro this team. Uh, everyone's has a bias towards the South because data shows that that's where most of the, the top draft picks or whatever come from. I think he has biases towards certain positions and certain traits at certain positions that can cause him to have bad evaluations. But I, I don't think there's any intentional, but I, I generally think he believes the rankings that he puts out. I don't think it's meant to, you know, create clickbait. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I, I like on three does a lot of clickbait, but I don't put that onto Charles. I think he just has bad evaluations, in my opinion. But it, it it's really bad. I mean, it, it's really bad, Ryan. Like it just. Yeah, it's like I asked you, like, okay, Deuce Knight dropped twenty six spots to to number fifty four. I have no problem with Deuce being ranked fifty four. My question is, what is Deuce? What has happened since the season ended that resulted in Deuce Knight dropping twenty six spots and James Flanagan dropping thirty spots, or or Ivan Taylor going up fifty spots? Like, what what has changed? That's the silliness of the whole thing. It's just, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, John A1 has said before Torian Folston's injury in 2015, do you think he would have been an NFL level running back? I do. Yeah. I think he'll as be an like NFL level running guy. back. I mean, just as a rotational player, just in general. I mean, I think that I think Torian had a Folston had a really good understanding of space. I remember early on in his career, especially, like he had really good vision. He understand how to manipulate space. I don't think he was the most explosive back of all time, but he was really smart and dependable and just a natural runner, man. So, yeah, I think he would have 
I think he would have been an NFL level running back. I don't think he would have been a every down back. I don't think he would have been a high volume carrier like type of dude, but I think that he would have been a part of a committee approach on the next level. I do think he had that type of back type of upside. Yeah. He had such great feet before that injury. He has a really nice burst out of cuts, man. Even though the run he got hurt on, you could see it like just the cut he had on that particular run. He looked like he was like Sean McCoy-ish early in his career, man, because he just had some crazy jump cuts when he was young. He had, I think there was only three other running backs in Notre Dame history that had more rushing yards through their first two years at Notre Dame than Torian Folston. That's the disappointing thing about all of it. But beyond that, too, imagine how dynamic that one-two punch of him and Procise would have been that that year because they were going to do a lot. They were going to do a lot of moving CJ around that year with Mm -hmm. Torian. And they couldn't do that once he got hurt. So that's a bummer. Might have gave CJ a longer NFL career too if he wasn't just yes. used as a running back. It was used as more of a all-purpose type dude. But yeah. yeah, and and he also got banged on a lot that the year where I don't think his body was like ready to necessarily have that kind of workload right away. Yeah. Moving yeah. to running back, I yeah I agree with that. Here's one, Ryan. I'm going to ask this one because it's a draft one. Over mm-hmm. under from John A one. My guy, John A1, over under two and a half Notre Dame defensive linemen get drafted in 2025. I'll say over. Yeah, I'll go over. I, th- I think that RJ Oban will definitely get drafted, barring some crazy injury setback this year. I think someone will draft Riley Mills just based upon him being so big and athletic, right? Even if he doesn't necessarily take it to another level in 2024, I still think that you just have that upside in athleticism. And honestly, like people are going to knock – Howard Cross for a size, I completely get it. But I mean, Howard Cross, based upon the film in 2023, was absolutely a draftable player. So I think that I think he would definitely get drafted because he has the NFL bloodlines, he has the intangibles. I know that he is also a player that was going to go to the senior bowl. Like he, Jim Nagy was going to invite Howard Cross if he decided to come out this past year. So I say yes, all three will get drafted. It's not yeah, a good answer because I agree with it. It was a good answer. Yeah. And I also agree with it. Just so good. Just so we're good. Lucky <laughs> Ducks five one two. Which player will be talking about after? Sp- which player will we be talking about after spring practice? One on offense and one on defense. I mean, I hope offensively we're talking about Riley Leonard after spring. Yeah. I hope that that's uh, where and, we're. And that'll be yeah. the one too, just because he's a quarterback. Let's uh, yeah. another one. I, I'm I'm very curious to see how people's reaction to what Chris Mitchell does this year, and good good or bad in the spring. That's another one and. And I think we'll be talking a lot about one of the two running backs. Somebody's going to yeah. break out in the spring game, and that's going to get everybody buzzing about them. Those will be mine. Yep. Defensively, that's a good one. Um, who are we going to be talking about after the spring? I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with Josh Burnham. I'm going to predict okay. a little bit of a breakout for Josh Burnham this spring. I think he's going to have a really impactful spring. All right. I'll raise you one big end. I'll raise you one big end as well. I will go – RJ Open is the guy so that everyone's you're going talking with the, about. The Duke guys this year, I, I dig it. Yeah, apparently, man. Apparently, it's a win-win though, Ryan. Right? I mean, if 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 either one of those two guys is who we're talking about, that's a win, in my opinion. Yeah, I just want to hear that RJ is just kind of taking it to the offensive tackles and a bunch of one-on-ones and stuff, and yeah. they kind of fought back because they're being challenged every single day. But RJ's still winning a ton of reps, and you have your answer to where the production pass rusher is going to come in 2024. At least the main the main production that'd be nice we had item benami says 2001 miami versus 2019 lsu who you got we've been asked this several times ryan and at the end of the day 
I'd probably go with 2001 Miami just because I think they were they were better on both sides of the ball, and I think they were just better yeah. in the trenches. Yeah, but in a seven on seven game, man, like well, unless you look at if, if, if they play ten <laughs> yeah. times, they might it might be five to five, six to four, one way or the other. Yeah. I, I just in in a one game like that, I just tend to go with the team that's got the more elite defense. And and LSU would have got theirs in that game, Ryan, just because they're that good. But they would have had to work a lot harder for it than they did against anybody else that year. And and I have a, I'd have greater confidence in a secondary where Philip Buchanan and Mike Rump aren't even starters. Uh, you know, going being able to match up against because it's about matchups, right? That was an elite second. I think Sean Taylor was on that secondary as well. Ed Reed was definitely on that secondary. Yeah. Yep. And and you had Jonathan Vilmot linebacker. You had NFL guys up on the defensive line. Yeah. Yep. And so to me, that 01 Miami team defensively would have been able to was on that team too, right? Wasn't yeah, I think Wolf he was, was a team? freshman on that team, but he played. Yeah, uh, They'd have been able to do enough to create enough stops to give their offense a chance to win. And I think they would have also – here's the big thing. They had a really good old line back then, man, and some really yeah. big-time running backs. I mean, you had Bryant McKinney. Vernon um, Carey. Y- yeah. Yes. I mean, you had uh, – and, and, Romberg at center too, right? Brett, Brett Romberg. Yeah. Yes. He had a really good physical offensive line. And what people forget about that team because of how flashy it was and all that, that team could run the football, Ryan. They were a really, really good running team. I mean, you had – think about this. You had a team that you were so loaded at running back that you moved Willis McGahee to fullback on that team. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had Clinton Portis and and, and, uh, Frank Gore as your one-two punch at running back. And that was a pretty dynamic group. You had Andre Johnson and Jeremy Shockey at wide receiver and tight end. Kevin Baird was not a bad football yep. player. Kellen Winslow was the backup yeah. to uh, Shockey to yeah. the tight end. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, they they had their fair share of studs also. They could have, to me, run the ball well enough on that LSU defense to slow the game down. And they could have made enough stops. It would have been a phenomenal game. But I think 0-1 Miami wins it. I, yeah. I just think – because because 0-1's the team that beat Nebraska. I mean, they were both great teams. They both had their fair share of close games against inferior opponents. I mean, you know, LSU almost lost to Texas and and had an ugly win over Auburn. And that Miami team had that – remember, they had that really ugly win over BC that year in 18-7 and then had a very close win over Virginia Tech, pretty decent Virginia Tech team. So they both had those moments. But, man, that team, that 0-1 team was just – that was a phenomenal team. Never seen anything like it from a just collection yeah. of NFL talent perspective. I mean, that yeah. was literally a NFL team playing college football. So, yes, yeah. I would also go 2001 Miami just because – I mean, even though some people would – I mean, the counter for some people would be like, oh, Joe Burrow versus Ken Dorsey. And, like, I get it, right? Like, but I that's get not it. what it is, right? It, right. But but Ken Dorsey was a pretty darn good college quarterback, guys. I mean, like yeah, – yeah, I mean, he was, a, he, was a, he was good. So, you know, I just – he, he was a really good football player. I mean, he that was a really good football team. It, it yes. really was. And, and and again, it's like okay, well, the the matchup is not Joe Burgans Ken Dorsey. The matchup is Ken Dorsey versus the LSU defense, which was solid but not special that year. And it's Joe Burrow against one of the best defenses I've ever seen. At least, well, I shouldn't say that. One of the best secondaries I've ever seen. And uh, I, I would say yeah. defense. I mean, that, that defense is wild. That was a wild defense. Yeah. They give up. The, here, here was the point margin for that team that year, Ryan. They scored 39.6 points per game. 
and gave up 8.6 points per game. That, oh, the defense is wild, man. You yeah. literally had you literally had all pros in every level of that defense. Like it was wild. Vince Wilfork yeah. and I mean Jonathan Vilma was incredible. DJ Williams was really good too. Right. I mean, not to be out out shot right. there. And Ed Reed it, might be the press free safety right. of all time. So, so, so here here's the difference, Ryan. I mean, Miami scored 39 points per game. That's 39.6. That was basically nine lower than what LSU scored at 48.4. Miami gave up 8.6 points per game. LSU gave up 21.9. So there was a greater gap between the defenses than there was between the offenses that year. And, and, you know, and, and look, that was a really good Nebraska team that they beat. Like they don't get enough credit because they had a really bad big 12 title game against, it was a Colorado beat them, like smacked them in the big 12 title game, but they blew a lot of teams out that year. And Miami just made them look like chumps. And they just toyed with them in that game, Ryan. I mean, it just it was, it was wild. It really was. But that was a that was a great, great, great team. It'd be a great game. Like, I'm not going to tell you if you think it's LSU that you're nuts. I think it would have been a great game. It would have. I mean, Miami had arguably the best secondary I've ever seen. LSU had arguably the best receiving core I've ever seen in college. Like, I mean, you know, it, it was it was impressive. I just think at the end of the day, we 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 don't. To put enough focus on the trenches, and I think Miami was better in the trenches on both sides of the ball. That that's that's my takeaway yeah. on that one. So good question. We get asked that a lot, Ryan. We we probably get asked that mm-hmm. at least a couple times a year because it's a it's a very fascinating question. Mm-hmm. Very very fascinating question. We got salty with the question. Said Marcus Freeman has made tremendous hires. For his coaching staff, which hire had the biggest gap from the prior coach to the current coach? Mike Oof. Brown and Chancey Stuckey. That's that's the one for me. Even more so than Jared Parker and Mike Denbrock, in my opinion. Oof, man. Uh, I'd have to think about that one a little bit more. I'm trying to think. Because it'd be Max Bullitt and, and Chris O'Leary. Yep. Mike Denbrock and Jared Parker. And it'd be... Mike Brown and Chancey Stuckey. That's the three, right? Am I reading the question correctly? We're looking at from last year to this year, correct? Not from Yeah. I, I believe I guess that's where he's going. I didn't know if he meant the entire time or not, but yeah. I I guess it would be Brown to Stuckey, I suppose. Then yeah, I'd rank yeah. up and Brock and then I mean Bullet O'Leary to me is I mean, I can't I can't say that's an upgrade because I think that Chris O'Leary did a great job at Notre Dame, you know, and we have to see what Mac Bullock can do. I'm I'm happy with the hire, but yep. that was not that was one where you, you need to keep it rolling, where the other two on offense were you got a lot better. That's the difference. All right. We got another one from John A one over under three thousand team rushing yards in twenty twenty four. Well, Ryan, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit because I'm gonna say over because I think they're going to play at least 14 games this season. Yeah, if they so play 14 helps. games, I'll take the over as well. If they play 14 regular season, I am not taking that. I mean, the the 2017 yeah. team, Ryan, uh, had 3350 3, yards in the regular season that year, and that was the mm-hmm. best Notre Dame running team in the last 30 years in my opinion. And they couldn't throw a lick. Uh, You know, that's to say, it's not always about the stats. I mean, if if it, 
to, to go for 3,000 yards in a normal 13-game season would mean you'd have to average 230.8 yards per game. Can Notre Dame do that? Yes, they can absolutely do that. I just yep. think they're going to be balanced enough to where we're just not going to see that high of a number running the football, especially against mm -hmm. the schedule they're going to play, which is going to have some pretty decent defenses on it. I think you're going to see more of like a, a 260, 215 type of thing this year, Ryan, yep. closer to that. Uh, it, it, and, and then higher yards per attempt. I think is what we're going to see as well. But I wouldn't be shocked if they went over 300, 3,000 in a 13 game season at all. It just, yeah. if I'm, I'm taking the over or I'd take the under in a 13 game, but I think they're going to play one more game and that will put them over, which means they're close, right? If I'm saying one right. game puts them over, it means that they're close, in my opinion. I, I saw the other day, this is a random notes, but Harding, who won the D2 national championship this year, they won 15 and 0. They ran for 6,150 yards this year in 15 games. Average over 400 yards rushing a game. That's 400 nuts. yards a game. That's nuts. But, and like 80 touchdowns or something like that yeah. on the ground. It's like just wild. A little, little bit of context too, Ryan, on, on yeah. the 3,000 yards. This year, only four teams that had over three oh, had over 3,000 yards rushing this year. In 2022, yeah. it was 10 teams. In 2021, it was eight teams. In 2019, it was... 16 teams in 2018 it was 16 teams in 2017 it was 19 teams so what's the difference mm -hmm. i think number one is you're seeing more of a shift to to, to throw in the football but number two is the clock rules that's i think the, you're seeing less of the run game from a week-to-week -week basis than you did in the past i mean it's a big difference between 18 18 16 and then four you know yeah. what I mean? I think that's where you're seeing a lot of of that because you're seeing coaches, I think, making strategic decisions. If it, you know, if, if especially if you're in in these games where it's like, hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna do more throwing the football than we did in the past because you know this this extends the game. I, I think that could be it too. But sure. there, that's a big that's a big drop off from 16 to 18 a year to 10, and then all of a sudden four the first year of the of the uh the new clock rules i mean and there was there was four other teams that were over there was three teams that were over 2900 and then the number eight team ryan had 2780 if you go back to 2019 the team that would have 270 would have barely been a top 25 team and they were eighth seventh this seventh or eighth this, in this past year so it's a little bit of a different game than it was in 2017 as well it's crazy we had Ronnie Reeves who said, fun question. We'll be the judge of that. Who's your favorite uh, kick returner, punt returner guy besides Tim Brown or Rocket? Mine is Tom Zibikowski. Zibikowski was entertaining. There's no Sorry. doubt about that. He's a really good I'm, punt returner. <laughs> I'm going to go with C.J. Sanders because C.J. did both. Tommy only did punt returns. C.J. Sanders did uh, punt and kick returns, and I believe the only player – I think the only player with more combined kick plus punt returns in Notre Dame history than C.J. Sanders, I believe, is Rocket. I'm pretty sure on that. Uh, C.J. was a very good return man at Notre Dame. Never got enough credit for how good of a dynamic. I mean, think about that Stanford game in 2015, Ryan. People forget, like, St Kevin Hogan led Stanford right down the field, like, easy, just swish cheese through the Bramming order defense. Notre they kick it off to C.J. Sanders, and Gus Johnson on the call brings it right back for a touchdown, just completely changed the – the the uh because like it was kind of like a oh, here we go again type of thing in that game 
and mm-hmm. CJ went right back down and took it to the house. He was a very dynamic return guy and had a couple take called back too. He had a punt return. Remember in 16, he had that long punt return against Michigan State for a touchdown brought back because of a penalty. Mm-hmm. So he, he was very good. Very yeah. good. Wasn't as flashy as Tommy, but he did both. He had kick returns for scores and punt returns for scores. Tommy yeah. just did one. I love Tommy, man. Tommy, Tommy had my heart as a football player. What a what a guy. What a guy. I can I, I can this I know exactly why. I know exactly why. Let me see who else. Alan Rossum was a really good returner, was he not? Good, I remember yeah, Alan Rossum. Joey Getherall was, was a really good, good punt returner. Okay. Julius Jones is a freshman, was a pretty good kick returner. Remember, uh Joey Getherall and J- Julius Jones both had returns for touchdowns against Nebraska in two was it two thousand? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um yeah. I remember Rossum more in the yeah. NFL than than Notre Dame, but he was dynamic mm-hmm. in the NFL as a returner as well. So we had Ronnie Reeves says it seems to me that Deuce's throwing motion is a little slow. If that is something that's been observed by others, and can it be coached? I think that's true in seven on seven. I, I don't know that I would say it's necessarily true when I watch his high school film. I agree. I think the ball gets out fast and in, in yeah. real time. I just think it's yeah. more of a relaxed environment when you're playing seven on seven. The only yeah. thing I will say is, Ronnie, I, I do think his release is maybe a little bit long just because he's a longer guy, sure. right? But I, I don't think release quickness is a problem, though. So I, I, I in the game, I don't think it's an issue. Like, literally, if you go back to his sophomore film, his second throw on that film where he threw kind of that in-breaking route, that ball got out fast, man. Like, that's some arm speed right there. So I think his arm speed is is very good so i'm not worried about that overall personally All right we got rj girving it says do you think notre dame should create a three for 40 program that achieves a degree with early entry summer school and three years of regular semesters to lock in kids and give more options in year four and five they're already doing that i mean i was about to say kids, you, they, yeah. they, they don't just sell it that way but that is actually what's right. happening right so yeah, yeah they're not hey man come here get a degree in three years so you can leave uh, and that's, that's not what I don't think he's necessarily asking, but yeah, that's already happening a lot. There's a ton of kids at Notre Dame leave, graduating after three to three and a half years, a ton. So there's some graduating in three. I mean, I, I mentioned this, like Xavier Watts graduated coming into the season. He's a true senior this year. He's already graduated already walked. So he graduated in three years. If, if, if he was still getting kind of screwed over by the coaches, like he had been earlier in his career, he could have easily left and had a degree from Notre Dame in hand. So right. you're seeing a lot more of that, Ryan. A lot yep. more of that. We're, we're just not rebranding it, right? It's still 4 for 40. Right. We're not going to call it 3 right. for 40 yet. Right? right. But it also, I mean, it's also good for them football-wise too, Ryan, if they stay at Notre Dame. You know, because then your last year, you can start working on your master's a little bit. You don't have to be taking a full 12-hour course load. Uh, but more so, you see a lot of these guys, They can. it's easier to set their schedules to where they're, they are more football-specific. They, they, they can spend more time on football because they don't have the 12 hours of courses and things like that that they have to take. So certainly, certainly a b- beneficial to guys that stay as well. But as to his point, it does also open up some opportunities for them to leave uh, and have in, 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 I mean, I don't know if it has more opportunities now, more options in year four and five, simply because I mean, they can transfer whenever they want or wherever they want anyway, but at least now they're leaving with a degree. So I don't know that it sure. gives them more options, but it, it makes sure that when they leave, they have they have the thing they primarily came for, which is that Notre Dame degree, which is very very important. Yep. This one hurts my heart, Ryan. I don't even know if I, I didn't want to bring this one up. Just even thinking yeah. about this possibility just does not makes me happy at all. Eric O'Brien says, "Got to give up all forms of potatoes or all cheese for the rest of your life. Which one do you choose?" I mean, I, I would reluctantly give up potatoes. 
Um, but I wouldn't be happy about it at all. I wouldn't be happy about it. I think I would give up. Ah, uh, man, that's, that's actually a really difficult one. I, I, was like, I, eat a I lot don't of, like potatoes, lot potatoes as much without cheese. I eat a lot yeah. of potatoes, though. It has substance yeah. to it, too. I'm gonna I'm gonna say cheese. I would give up cheese again. It's not a like it's not a easy one either way. But I mean, I even think of because like, are we do we count like sweet potatoes as part of potatoes too? Right? Like, I mean, all, all forms of potatoes, together, right? sure, and yeah. all forms of cheese. Yep. Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll give up cheese, I guess. But it's not a it's not one that I'm happy to say. Okay, so we disagree on that, Ryan. But here's what we can agree on. Yep. I'm yep. so happy that neither of us have to make that decision, and we can. It would both. actually be a. It would be a very easy decision for my wife because my wife is lactose intolerant, so she yeah. can't have cheese. Yeah. So it doesn't matter to her. All right, Archer 452. Ryan, Marvin Harrison Jr. announced he isn't hiring an agent. Really? I didn't see that part of it. Nor will he be participating in the Combine or the Pro Day. Should Surefire Top 10 Picks do this more? I did not see the news about him not hiring an agent. Did not see that part, but I know that yeah, he's yeah. not participating at the Combine or the Pro Day. Should more... Um, surefire top 10 picks do this more so it's like multi-layered archer first and foremost right the the whole participating at the combine pro day thing this is such a interesting conversation because there was not too long ago that if an nfl team did not have numbers on a on a player like at all and that's what you're getting with marvin harrison jr like you're not gonna have any times at all or any jumps anything any information they would just take that guy off the board. Like they just wouldn't, they wouldn't put him on their board. They would just be like, I don't have enough information on this player. But I think today's game with the GPS tracking information that you can get, like that helps with that a lot, right? I, I thought of it this way. The fan in me, the person that loves seeing these athletes do incredible things, right? I am, I'm upset, you know, that Marvin Harrison Jr. will not be participating at the comment because I wanted to see what he could do, right? Like, I wanted to see all the great things that he's able to do on a football field. But ultimately, as a understanding of the process and a, an advisor of the process, he doesn't need to. He doesn't, like, just straight up, he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to test. He doesn't need to go to the combine and do anything. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a top four pick probably in this year's draft. And I think that there's more risk to reward of him participating at this combine because if he does, and let's say he has a bad day in the 40, he runs four, five flat instead of four, four, three, like he probably would have ran. Right. Then people start overthinking it. And then he has to answer these stupid questions for a month and a half when we know that he's still going to go high in the draft because his film is really good. The other side though. So, so the business side, I understand it and I fully, it's fine. Whatever you do, you, it's your, it's your prerogative ultimately at the end of the day. As a fan, I would love to see him participate. The agent thing is a completely different conversation. I, he's a unique case because he is the son of an NFL player, right? So they have an agent, right? So I'm sure there's an agent involved in this situation. But overall, I do not, I would not recommend not having an agent to people that don't have the proper people in place. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a, is a different type of commodity, right? Like he has NFL people around him. He has agents that are probably advising him, even if they aren't his official agent, they're still advising him because of probably all the work he's done with. They're done with his father for a long time and made a lot of money off of Marvin Harrison senior. Right? So I think it's just a unique case. I don't think that top 10 picks should just spurn agents be like, Nope, I don't need you. I think they're valuable in a lot of instances. 
I just think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is a very unique case. Ryan, I'm going to bring up this next one. I've talked a lot about this in different shows. I want to give you a chance to really speak on this. So I'm going to bring this one up for you. This is from ND Milton fan with a super chat. Thank you so much, ND Milton fan. You may have already answered. If so, apologies. No worries. But how next? So I just want to speak on this. Guys, if you ask a question somebody's already asked, that's fine. We either won't bring it up or if it's been asked in previous shows, there's somebody listening to this show that didn't listen to it last time. So it's all good. Uh, but he asks, how negative of an impact do you suspect Chancey Stuckey had on the production of the offense last season? I mean, a, a big negative, I would say, Nathan. Uh, look, I, and I think that we've actually even had this slight conversation at, at one point, right? I think that there was a whole lot. Uh, well, first and foremost, there was a stunting of growth of wide receiver play for Notre Dame. And I think that, uh, look, ultimately there were a bunch of a string of injuries. You know, we talked about the, about the leg injuries and just kind of the hamstring stuff and all that. Right. And like, that's going to hinder it, of course, but ultimately ask me point blank. Do I think Chancey Stuckey did a good enough job as a developer of wide receivers in 2024 or 2023? Excuse me. My answer would be absolutely not. I, I don't think he did a good job as a coach. I think he did a poor job as a coach. That's first and foremost. Also, I think that the negativity around so that so just from a production level perspective, I think that that obviously hurt Notre Dame. Like there's no doubt about it that the stunting of the wide receiver position made the offense a whole lot more simplistic in the passing game and didn't allow for maybe wide receivers to create as much separation as possible to be make a, a crazy uh, as much of an impact as they possibly can. So it definitely stunted the growth in 2020, 2023. Excuse me. And ultimately, it's also Mike Brown has to pick up the pieces and get it going this offseason, which is, you know, kind of a tough transition. So we'll see how quickly he's able to assert his 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 identity on the on the wide receiver room. But I also think that the other layer of it outside of just 2023 production, because I think it definitely stunted it, is that there's some there's like a, a, a I don't know, a fracturing of that room, right? Like there's a fracturing, which that's something that needed to be figured out very shortly, right? Because ultimately Notre Dame had a lot of talent in the wide receiver room. They weren't productive as they possibly could have been because I don't think they were developed properly. But then you're talking about the fracturing now starts potentially animosity long-term, right? As far as a guy's feelings get hurt. Why am I not playing more? Why is this guy not talking to me? Why is this happening? Like there's so many different variables that go into that. So, yes, I think it stunted the growth of the offense. It hindered the offense's ability to create explosive plays. And I also think that it fractured a room a little bit, that Mike Brown and this coaching staff has to pick up the pieces moving forward now, obviously. And they have so far. So much of it was just childish and petty. Just yep. ridiculous. Like, you are not cut out for this profession. <laughs> Thank you.